This week on the Gaming Trend Podcast, we're talking about the longest game ever, Xenoblade Chronicles 3, the second Back for Blood expansion, and the Pikmin of non-Nintendo systems, Tinykin, as well as a game that is currently slightly under wraps, and that is X Defiant. Let's get it. Welcome to the Gaming Trend Podcast, the official podcast of GamingTrend.com. My name is Anthony Shelton, and I am joined by three other people today. This is fantastic. We got David Burdett. Hello there. We also have David Flynn. Hit me. And we have Corvo. What's poppin'? There we go. On this podcast, we talk about the biggest games of the week, at least the ones that we could get our hands on. We talk about games in our backlog that we should have played a long time ago, and we also talk about the games you absolutely should be playing. Every game we talk about is going to be time-stamped in the YouTube description, so you'll be able to jump to whatever game that you want to hear about. That is also in whatever podcast app that allows that as well. So let's get into uh, a, a very long game, a game that... Uh, David probably may not even have full time to discuss because he might have to go. But David Flynn, let's talk about Xenoblade Chronicles 3. There's a lot to talk about. Is I hit us like I was just playing it before we started <laughs> podcasts, and I'm still nowhere near doing everything. I've got like about 120 hours in it. Oh my gosh. That's so much. And that's, is that just campaign? Uh, the campaign was 95 hours. Gosh, still. So. <laughs> oh my goodness. But uh, how much are you enjoying it though? Is it, is it worth all 95 hours or is it like a lot of fluff? I mean, what's, what's happening with this game? I think it might be my favorite of the uh, trilogy, as they call it, even though they're not talking about X talk about yeah. the trilogy okay it's like i went in with super high expectations and it surpassed all of them and then some nice okay well tell us about it what's what's xenoblade chronicles 3 how does it tie in with the other two what's the gameplay like uh well how it ties in is mostly a spoiler but okay essentially the worlds from one and two merged and now sort of the countries representing each game are at war and mm. uh you play as six soldiers from each faction together trying to uh find the truth behind the war and hopefully end it are these factions kind of they were at war with each other and they kind of came together to figure out what's actually happening or is or are they... Uh, no, it's just the six of you. Okay. Working together. So it's kind of a Romeo and Juliet kind of backdoor... Oh, uh, very much. There's, <laughs> yeah. There's also a bigger focus on romance this time around between the main two characters, especially. And is the... Are these characters continued from the other two games or is this like completely new but yet kind of set uh, within the same universe type of thing there are a few returning characters but they're mostly saved for the very end of the game and you spend the majority of time with 
a new cast telling their own story that's separate from the other two games. Okay. How's, what's the gameplay like? I imagine turn-based strategy, or is it action turn-based? Or is it uh, even no, turn-based? it actually plays more like an MMO. Uh-oh. So, like, you stand still to auto-attack, and then use the face buttons to use, like, special moves called arts, which have, like, cooldowns that are either tired or refresh based on how many attacks you land. Better than it's my very special move called arts. <laughs> There's a lot better than that. <laughs> it's what my wife tells me, at least. <laughs> So side note, I yeah, actually have to warn my wife whenever I fart. Like it's it's pretty nuts. Sorry, go ahead, David. Combat is basically a combination of uh, the first and second game at the same time. Okay, it's actually really cool though. Just the fact yeah, that you don't always get. Usually, you'd get just evolutions, but just the idea to take two different game styles and be, blend them, like that's it's really, really cool. interesting. So are there any major improvements from the first two? Or let me ask this also. Is this is Xenoblade Chronicles 3 like the MMO style, whereas the other two are something different? Or is are those two also MMO style? Uh, they're also MMO style. Okay. But the first game you could like move around and auto attack and you had that a little like hot bar at the bottom of the screen. Whereas the second one, you had to stand still to auto attack, and your buttons were assigned to the face buttons. Okay. Now, as a person who has not played any of the Xenoblades, Xenogears, Xenosaga, anything like that, like what I actually am interested in playing this, mostly because it's just I feel like all the other games have kind of bypassed me, so I'm like I I want to jump into this one because I I just want to experience a, a Xeno game. Would this be a good idea, or should I play the other ones first? Like, forget story. Just from a, like, fun perspective, could somebody like myself enjoy this game? Uh, yeah, I definitely think so. Like, uh, in terms of story, you wouldn't be lost either. You just miss a few references and some theming. But, like, this is the first of the three that has had actually decent tutorials that oh, aren't good. hidden away in menus. Like twos would just pop up like, hey, the tutorial available in the menu. Or the one, <laughs> one would do that. Oh, it wouldn't and even then, like explain it on the screen. It'd just like tell you, hey, like if you want to know more, go to like, the if menu. If you want to know, go here, whatever. <laughs> Two tutorial would, advertisements. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Two was just terrible at telling you how to play the game so basically if i played it backwards i would be in a better place (laughs) actually yeah (laughs) there we go all right well because uh chronicles 2 was on the wii u right it was on the switch oh it was on the switch okay all right okay still needs a sequel nintendo (laughs) i'm waiting It's a cliffhanger. Well, you still probably have 60 hours of Chronicles 3 left, so... 
Probably, yeah. That, <laughs> that plus reviews, your plate will be rather full, I imagine. Oh, yeah. David Flynn is a king of knocking out reviews on our Trello board. He is the man. What can I say? <laughs> I like to multitask. Yeah. Uh, do you have any, as a veteran Chronicles or Xeno player, do you have any major gripes about this? Something that you wish that were improved that maybe hasn't been or lingering issues from previous games, anything like that? Um, I wish they actually had a photo mode because the environments <laughs> are gorgeous. And like you can remove the UI from screenshots with a button combination, but it's just not the same. And also, so, they there's a lot of repeated dialogue after battles. Mm. I think I brought that up in the review. There's only like five or six like conversations the characters will have after finishing a fight. Oh no. Yeah, that's and you have to for 120 to hours. Yeah, <laughs> better get used to hearing that. That's a problem the in tales. Already turned most of them into memes. <laughs> I believe it. Yeah, that that's also a problem in the tales games. I feel like that's just a general Japanese development issue. I don't know why, but apparently Horizon also has that issue. But they patched that. They finally fixed it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, one of the reasons I, I stopped playing stash. Horizon uh, Forbidden West was just Aloy wouldn't shut up. Like, I love her character, but she doesn't need to narrate every single thing. <laughs> they patched she, it, thankfully. <laughs> she was, uh, yeah, she was let's playing her own game. All right, any, uh, what did you uh, score, Xenoblade Chronicles 3? Uh, I gave it a 95. I I wanted to give it a 100 because it was that good, but I think there were just a few net, uh, issues that didn't work. Like the what dialogue. Were the... Oh, okay. Uh, and also, the community recently found out that food buffs don't do anything. Uh-oh. There's oh. like a glitch there. You cook a food and it's like plus ten percent experience and that doesn't work. No, that, no one noticed until a month after release. That yeah, that's bad. Yeah. I can see why you uh didn't give it a hundred after that, because that's super important. You're doing all these things expecting them to work, and then you probably fight a boss and it's like, yo, I'm what is going on? I'm not getting these percentages. Yeah. I mean, a 95 uh, is nothing to scoff at, uh, though. I think I still had too much experience by the end, even without the bonuses. <laughs> is that because the you were knocking out the side quests and stuff, too? Yeah, most of my time was spent on side quests. If I like have a tip for anyone playing the game right now is to just ignore bonus experience until you finish the game. Oh, okay. <laughs> Without it, the level curve is fine, but with it, you'll just be like 10 levels over everything all the time. Got it. You don't feel like the, the amount of hours there's any padding or it, just, it feels like fluff? You feel like it's all balanced? Uh, there's definitely fluff, but it's like that enjoyable kind of anime fluff. 
Yeah, yeah, okay. That's exactly what I was thinking. Pillar arc in anime. Which I can imagine. Yeah, that could get on. Go ahead, Corvo. With 100 hours sunk, I'm wondering what would you say is like the number one thing that kept you wanting to come back to it? Like, what was the main thing in the game that wanted you or made you want to put like another hour in or another hour just kept you coming back? I'm interested to know that because I'm not familiar with these games either. Uh, Well, they're open worlds, and I just really enjoy exploring like every little nook and cranny of them. Because for one, they're absolutely gorgeous, even on hardware that's clearly struggling with the game. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Like, I just want to see my map filled out at the very least because OCD stuff, but... It's just an enjoyable world to immerse yourself in. So do you like Ubisoft style open world games? Icons everywhere? Oh, yeah. Oh, they got it? Okay. Ever since Assassin's Creed went RPG, I've been just all over them. <laughs> but if I'm not mistaken, Valhalla got a perfect score from Yeah. David. Uh, so. <laughs> oh, okay. I somewhat regret that in hindsight, but that was right when COVID started and I needed and escape as everybody as did. someone yeah. as someone who gave call of duty vanguard a very high score and has been playing it a lot i understand the giving something a score off of a first impression yeah it's part of the gig you know that's how it goes well yeah everybody makes mistakes and animal crossing uh you know certainly benefited off of that <laughs> it was good though <laughs> to be fair animal crossing that was that was a good animal crossing Bridge don't always crack the first time you walk across. That's for sure. No, this is this is very true. So I could see. So what about this open world is different from other open world games? Because I don't think I've played a Japanese developed open world game. I'm like Tales. Tales of Arise was not open world. That's a Tales game. Um, you know, most of those aren't. So I can't. I can't think of a large RPG Japanese RPG that's open world. So. What are the differences? Yeah, I can't think of one either. Uh, it just kind of has to do with monolith design philosophy. They like to go very wide and very vertical. So, like, uh, there's one area that's you're walking around this like giant cliff that's separating you from everything, and then you eventually you find the way up, and there's just like. <laughs> a whole nother layer of stuff to do on top of it. Okay. So, uh, well, I think the areas are larger in this game than, like, the first two. Definitely not X, because I think that's still one of the biggest open-world games ever made. Okay. Um. Three feels somehow bigger and more dense than both of those. Is that because of the verticality? Like it's not you're not just going wide, you're able to go up, so you know, it just it just feels like you can go more places. Uh yeah, there's that's part of that, but there's also just stuff everywhere, like treasure chests, unique monsters to fight. Like some quests just out in the open. Okay. All right. Sounds good. Any any last like 
you have to know this about Xenoblade Chronicles 3. Uh, we made a recap video that I'm very proud of. If you have played the first three games in the series, 1X and 2. Yeah, I've been actually meaning to watch that because yeah. I just don't have any context. I'm like, I want to know before I jump in. I would still recommend going back and playing the other games, but like, yeah. they're each 100 hours, so. Don't always have that time. <laughs> no, you. No, that's fine. <laughs> you know, just be prepared to sink <laughs> three to 400 hours into getting caught up. That is a. Yeah, you don't need to do homework, but. The it's not Elden Ring where you gotta logic, bring a book. Especially in the end game. Oh, yeah. Actually, I do have one more question. Is the. You did mention the leveling stuff, but is the game. Mm, Handholdy is the word that comes to mind. You said it scales, you know, well if you're not doing side quests, but is it still. Is it difficult? Is it. If, if you don't do side quests, like what, if you just try to burn through it. I did find it a little too easy playing on normal. Okay. Because I was overleveled the whole time. But then hard would just make everything kick my ass. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I think one of the flaws is you do have to work a little to find a better balance between difficulty and leveling. But, All right. Uh, I would say the game does hold your hand through certain parts. Like most of the open world areas will start with a little li linear section, like a dungeon, and then just spit you out into a massive open place. Mm. I keep wanting to say area, but I already called it an area. <laughs> that was fine. <laughs> All right. This is oh, why that... I'm a writer. That, yes, that that's the beauty of writing. You get to perfect your thoughts. Drafts and drafts <laughs> on top of drafts. Yeah, when you're talking, yeah, good luck. Got to prep. All right, that's Xenoblade Chronicles 3, developed by Monolith Software and published by Nintendo. Only available on the Nintendo Switch. So, uh, David, if you got to take off, go ahead. Appreciate you telling us about the game. If you want to hang out a little bit longer, because you can, and uh, talk some other games with us, feel free to stick around. But uh, nah, we... I gotta go. But thanks for All having right. me, and awesome. enjoy the rest of the podcast, everybody. Appreciate thanks. it. Thanks. Take it easy. You All right, let's talk Tinykin. Corvo, you have been playing this. Uh, I'm not. I believe you are reviewing it or did review it. Did review. Did... Indeed, I played did a... review. Nice. I played a little bit of the demo uh, some months ago, and uh, I fell in love with it. So when I found out you were reviewing it, I was like, oh, we need to talk about this game because this... I like it. And that's just off the demo. Tell me how you feeling. Oh, this game is great. I fell in love with it, too, once I started playing it. I mean, it's... It's very similar to Pikmin, so if you're a fan of those types of games, this is, like, so up your alley. All right, well, what's, what's, you say it's like Pikmin. I know it's like Pikmin. Uh, what is, what are some differences, what are some similarities about Tinykin compared to Pikmin? 
Well, I'd say the similarities are pretty, you know, front facing. You've got these little creatures that you pluck out of the ground and they help you do tasks to repair a spaceship. Um, that's all very Pikmin DNA that you can find in Tinykin. But I think the big difference comes from the gameplay, whereas Pikmin's kind of more of like a strategy game almost. You know, you're on a timer and you got to collect these pieces in time and you fight enemies. Tinykin doesn't really have combat like that. Um, it's more of like an exploration game um, where you're solving like little puzzles and doing more platforming type stuff. No, yeah, it's uh, I agree 100% with that. It is, it's very exploratory, almost puzzle, lots of puzzles, lots and lots of puzzles you have to do to open up different areas. Um, and it's, and it's pretty seamless. I personally think it looks it looks great. I I love the art style. It's incredible. Yeah, it it feels surreal being able to jump around in this. Well, you're tiny, right? Your character's tiny, and the tiny kins are even tinier than you. And the first level, at least in the demo, and I think this is the first level in Tinykin, you're basically in this giant room. So it almost you have this Toy Story esque style feel. And you're, you get to explore the, the house, the whole house. And yeah, you're, you're, you know, you're trying to build a spaceship and stuff. And it looks great. It just, the, the character in the Tinykins there, I think you could describe it as cutouts almost. Um, kind of art style. Yeah, they're not, like two-dimensional sprites in a 3D world. Yeah, not quite Paper Mario, but... In that flavor. And then the, the house and the environment is full 3D. Like it is 3D. Stunning. So it, is, it looks really good. So uh, what's, what's, uh, what's been your favorite part of Tinykin? I think the, my favorite part of Tinykin is just getting the opportunities to explore all of these uh, expansive environments from such a unique perspective. Like you mentioned, Milo, the protagonist, He's super tiny, uh, minuscule, exploring this giant house. Um, and the house has been colonized by bugs. So there's bugs that have built little cities all over the house. And like there's a music venue that they've built inside of a guitar. Or, you know, they have bars <laughs> set up in cardboard boxes and things yeah. like that. So it's just really fun to find all those little places and check them out and talk with the NPCs as well. And you can kind of learn more about the house and the history. And yeah, it's just exploring is so great in this game. And the game gives you plenty of tools to move around. Like you've got a, like a little bar of soap that you can surf around on for extra speed. <laughs> I forgot about or the bar of soap. <laughs> you've got like a, a glider that's a bubble that you can upgrade as well. So you can glide from one end of the room to the other once you've got a bunch of upgrades. But yeah, surfing around on that bar of soap is just a great time. <laughs> Feels good. It's so just so as, slick. As far as the story, like, what's the actual, what is the premise behind all of this? Because, like, I love everything I'm hearing, but why Why is Milo even here in the first place? Do you need a reason to ride a bar I mean, of I soap? Don't. I just, I no, just want to know. don't. <laughs> yeah, so Milo's an explorer. Um, so... He lands down on Earth, and I believe it's the 1970s, um, and everything is basically, you know, 
stuck in time in the 1970s. And for some reason, he's super tiny and everything is big. Um, so you kind of unravel the mystery as to why he's small and you're trying to get Milo back home. Um, and these tiny kin, uh, they were dormant creatures until you arrived and they want to help you out. So you use the tiny kin to collect pieces of a machine that you're building with one of the insects. He's helping you out as well. Um, so yeah, you're basically just going from room to room in the house, helping the bugs out with their problems, and then they help you in uh, in turn to get back home. Cool. Yeah, now there is some combat, because there, there are ways to lose your tiny kin a little bit, uh, but I forget how all of that works. Right, so I wouldn't say there's combat, necessarily. Um, there the only way to lose your tiny kin is the red ones. Um, those tiny kin are the explosive that's variants. Right. Yeah. Yes. That's right. So that's right. once they, you know, explode, they're not going to come back from that. But right. I would say the red are definitely the most abundant tiny kin to collect. Um, but the rest of them, um, I don't believe there's any way to lose them. Um, the only thing is that when you move from room to room, your tiny kin will not follow you. So they'll right. stay in that room. But if you come back to get more collectibles later, they'll be waiting for you. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, that's where the puzzle of it. Yeah, so yeah, you basically go around in each room searching for Tinykin. So that way you can complete different puzzles. So obviously you won't be able to do certain things until you have enough Tinykin in order to do them. Uh, so sometimes you'll have to throw them at stuff. You'll have to you'll have to use them in different ways in order to you know, move forward or solve a puzzle or something like that. Very, you know, so yeah, I forgot there wasn't really because I was like, I I feel like I remember something getting rid of my tinykin, but you know, <laughs> yeah, did, I would say that, um, yeah, they took the combat out in favor for more of kind of like a laid back puzzle experience. So you don't have to worry about creatures munching down your tinykin. Yeah, it's that's nice. It is relaxing. That's for sure. Um, so much so that, uh, sometimes when I was playing, I, I was getting sleepy, but it wasn't because it was boring. It was just like this. I don't even remember the type of music it was in it. Yeah, it is chill, but I don't remember. It's just remember a cozy the, environment to be in. It is. Uh, I guess you're in a home, so they certainly nailed that. Such were the seventies. Eh. I agree. I think the seventies were, uh, I guess... I guess all the, the fun stuff was going on outside, so <laughs> I guess you might be able to put it that way. Um, so what did you give Tinykin? I gave Tinykin a 90. I thought it was such a fun and amazing platformer. Um, I gave it a 90, not 100, just because I didn't think it was you know genre-defining as a platformer. That's fair. Um, you know, it is about on a shorter end. Um, Playtime-wise, oh, I think about, I spent about six hours from oh, start okay. to finish. That's healthy though. Um, yeah. I mean, especially for the $30 asking price, I thought that was fair. Um, but yeah, I had a great time with Tinykin and I definitely recommend it to everyone. I think they just added it to Game Pass as well for those subscribers. It did. I just took a look. It is on PC Game Pass as well, so I may have to mess with this. Yeah, I downloaded it last night on my Series X, but you know, I'd already played the demo, so... I got some familiarity with it. I can't wait to start writing that bar of soap again. That is. You're going to have a blast. 
Yeah. For sure. You gotta have to say that again. You were cutting out. Oops, sorry. It's available in cloud gaming. So that oh, oh okay. Did you start so downloading well it? Is that touch, is that why? Uh, no, I did not. I promise. <laughs> That's all right. My, he's downloading my, it right now. He's got to get in there and get on yeah. that snowboard. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, you got to. Yes, for sure. All right. Uh, who was Tinykin developed by? I don't remember off the top of my head. Tiny Build. Tiny Build. Yes, I think that is that is right. What I love about this, yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, What I love about this too is that uh, it's not exclusive to Nintendo. This is uh, on the other platforms. So (laughs) this is one thing I've I've noticed. You got Temtem officially coming out. I think next week, at the time of this recording, I think it's next week. And then you have this Tinykin, which is almost like a Pikmin-like. Temtem is a Pokemon-like. And I think you're getting more and more developers trying to create Nintendo likes in an interesting fashion. So people could play other stuff that's not Nintendo on other platforms. And so far, these two are pretty good. I, I've heard great things about Temtem. Tinykin, I love it. Want to play more of it. So uh, this will be interesting what, what these uh, developers are doing in the future. I just had to throw that out there because I just found this fascinating. Yeah, this is a, a great opportunity for those people that had, you know, a GameCube as a friend and they had Pikmin and you didn't have a GameCube so you couldn't play it. So it's like, oh, well, now you have the opportunity to play something that's like Pikmin and not on Nintendo. Yeah. And uh, it's good. It is good. So good. Corvo gave it a 90. And I stand behind it. <laughs> yeah. Jump right. in, try to try the soap board. That's all I ask. <laughs> I want a real life soap board. <laughs> I want to. I want to. I want to slide to work on a soap board. I'm right there with you. <laughs> Clean the streets. There you go. Killing two birds with one stone. Exactly. Or one soap bar. All right. <laughs> uh, let's talk about Back for Blood, the second expansion. David and I have been playing that. David, what are your first thoughts about Back for Blood, the expansion? Uh, Children of the Worm is what it's called. The the first thoughts automatically were it's more Back for Blood, <laughs> but in the end, it's that's not necessarily a bad thing though because Back for Blood is, for all intents and purposes, yeah, it's Left for Dead, as Ron said multiple times in the gameplay that we were recording. He literally <laughs> kept saying night. Left for Dead. <laughs> <laughs> or or just left for dead. He, he just just said left for dead, but it's like it's just back for blood. I guess it's just the it's kind of like when you watch a movie. There are those movies that you turn on and you just watch them and you turn your brain off and you just enjoy what's there. You know, it's not as Martin Scorsese would say, cinema or anything <laughs> like that. It's just a good popcorn flick to sit there and just not care and just enjoy. And Back for Blood fits that to me perfectly because it's just something I don't have to go in there. I don't have to focus on this narrative and how it's branching out or if it's that great. I don't have to go in there and have some extravagant skill 
to be able to slide cancel around the map to shoot all the zombies or anything. It's just fun to just run around with a light machine gun or shotgun or a bat that has a bunch of nails in it and just beat the crap or shoot the crap out of zombies. And that's all it has to be. And I had fun with it. <laughs> it was a little short, though. I know we didn't get to play the first two missions, but it definitely still felt short, even if I kind of double, even if I double our time that we spent with it. Yeah, it's two hours, which is about right along the lines of the last expansion. If you, I mean, the last expansion was more add-ons than levels. This is a full act of levels. So yeah. if you don't know, Back for Blood is set in acts, and then there are levels within those acts. This is the fifth act, and it has six levels, and it'll take about two hours um, on, on a first playthrough, less definitely on the second playthrough, maybe an hour on a second playthrough, but it uh, comes with a new cleaner, as the characters are called, named Prophet Dan. Uh, Prophet, not his actual name, but uh, he is a fanatical religious dude who uh, is trying to exterminate these demons called the Ridden. So uh, that's how this character sees it. And they, they put a good amount of emphasis on introducing this character with his own cutscene, and, you know, they, they built him up in the marketing and things like that. But Back for Blood still suffers from the same problem that it suffered from in the original release, which is there's literally no story development inside <laughs> the game. So they'll have quips here and there, but you're still hearing the same quips from the first Back for Blood. You don't really get that much from Prophet Dan. So it's like, okay, it's cool. Like, I, I, I kind of want to know more about this character and get more detail from it, but you're not because for whatever reason, Turtle Rock has decided that's not what they're going to do with any of the characters. They're just going to put yep. just enough in there to suggest that there's some kind of personality, but there's no soul to it. And that's kind of how I feel about Back for Blood as a whole. It's got no soul. This doesn't really add any soul to it. So like David said, you're still shooting. You're still doing that stuff. But and it feels great. Don't get me wrong. That stuff feels great. Oh, man, but the guns definitely it like I don't like a lot of other first person shooters because they feel a lot different than Call of Duty. And I struggle even with some with playing them back for blood. I do not have besides the fact that they still have not added a slide button because I need my slides and in, in, in why do that's why my, would you want to slide in guts and blood and all that? That just I'm already covered in all of it. In all fairness, okay. you got to talk about that in the game. Like, I mean, you straight up somebody comes around the corner. I'm shooting them. Find out it's my teammate because they're so covered. The gore. Oh yeah, have that's, in this game just yeah. totally. You think they're actually one of the zombies because they're covered in so many chunks and blood and crap. Yeah, that that happens. Yeah, that's happened since the beginning. <laughs> that's yep. that's something most people know about. But yeah, it is. Uh, there there's a lot of that. But yeah, I don't I don't think sliding is going to be the thing that's going to solve Back for Blood's problems at this point. It still suffers from. <laughs> boring or at least maybe not boring but uninteresting level design and objectives it is repetitive it is a glorified shooting gallery. Of course. it's par for the course it is 
um, like for me. And it's fine because you could just get in there, get in with your friends and just shoot stuff. So it, it absolutely works for that. And of course, on higher difficulties, you do have to think a little bit more. You do have to strategize a little bit more. The cards you oh, pick man. matter, but you're just, it's just it's back for blood. <laughs> so you're really not getting anything more than that. There are new ridden though. And these ridden are kind of interesting. The most uninteresting ridden is one who actually has Wolverine-like claws on him. And he actually speaks English, which is interesting because none of the ridden do. So there's a little story stuff in there. Boy, I'm out to get you. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I would would lose my crap if I heard that in that game. The ridden actually, like, has voice lines. So these, some of these do. Uh, it's part of the story. It's supposed to build out, you know, the further uh, who the Ridden are and, you know, how deep their, um, I guess, so- society goes in terms of their, uh, what they've learned from the humans and, you know, all this other stuff. So, uh, but again, it's not fleshed out. Don't, don't expect to get, learn much from it. Uh, it ends pretty anticlimactic too, so you know you're oh, not man, you're not gonna get. Scene is just like, oh, it's over. <laughs> yeah. It, it, well, and the mission too. You, it's the last mission. And you're like, Same. yo, okay. yeah. So that took um, no time. And so you, this guy has Wolverine claws, and he applies bleed effect on you if you get slashed by him. And his actual name is Slasher. So you get slashed by him. You get a bleed effect. And if you keep getting hit by him, that bleed effect will continue to stack, uh, I'm pretty sure, infinitely. So, obviously, you don't want to get hit by him. The bleed effect isn't too crazy, but once you start racking up some stacks, it, it hurts. So then you have that character. I don't like that character that much because he's, it's more of shoot and run type of character, which is pretty much what all the special ridden that have been there from the beginning are. You kind of see them in... You kind of want to just get far enough away so you're not getting hit by them. But there are some new long-range ridden. One is wields a bow and arrow and has explosive arrows. So you don't want to get in the way of that. And then there's sniper ridden with red dot sights and everything. You know, Yeah, laser sights, all that stuff. So uh, they... Turtle Rock is certainly trying to expand the type of ridden that make you do things. I like those because it's not just, oh, I got to back up and run and fire. It is now you have to think about those ridden that are coming after you, but also repositioning yourself so you're not getting sniped. So it's a, it's a different way to think about where you are positioned inside of a level. So I do, I do like the fact that they've added those. That's nice. It changes things up, especially on the higher difficulties. Um, you don't want to get hit by those. But overall, it is, it's, it is more back for blood. Um, it doesn't improve on anything except the idea of sniper ridden and, and how that makes you play. I didn't get to experience too many of the new weapons or cards or anything like that. Um, so I, I don't have much to say on that, but I, I, yeah, if if Back for Blood is fun to you, you're you're going to enjoy this. It is more of it. And I thoroughly enjoy playing it with 
friends, so that hasn't changed, but this isn't going to light the world on fire. It's not going to bring back players, uh, at least for a long time. Yeah, that was, that was my yeah. question, because I haven't played Black... Sorry, I haven't played Back for Blood uh, since it launched. Um, so I was interested to see if there was anything here, you know, that might bring old players back that have left, but... I mean, like you already said, it's just more back for blood, so. Yeah, if you haven't played since the beginning, they they have done a lot of quality of life improvements. They have changed the way. You can play way. offline. Well, yeah. <laughs> play <laughs> offline. Tiny victories. It, it matters. but yeah, it And you can earn, you know, earn points to be able to get cards <laughs> offline as well. So they changed that as well. That was not an original feature. But they've changed the way uh, decks work out. When you start a level, it is no longer you choose five cards at the beginning of a level. They just give you your entire deck, um, which was a feature added specifically for the hardest difficulty that they added in the last expansion. Um, But they decided to keep that for all the difficulties because the community liked it so much. And it does make the start of the games go a little bit faster because people aren't sitting there trying to figure out what card do I pick? And it's like, just, just pick the five, first five cards you put in your deck. That's the point. It gives you your first five cards. So that saves a lot of time and it, 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 changes, it changes the strategy a little bit because uh, you don't have to think about, well, uh, I, I have to survive this level in order to get my next two cards to pick so I'm going to put these cards here and all that there's so you're not thinking about that stuff and and wasting time in that way it allows the games to go faster so there's a little stuff like that they've changed I think would surprise you and maybe help you play a little bit more but in terms of the core element of back for blood that's pretty much the same all right that is uh back for blood developed by turtle rock Studios and published by Warner Brothers. All right. Um, we, ah, uh, yes, this one. So we <laughs> haven't been able to talk about this uh, because we were under NDA for a while, but they, Ubisoft has said, you can talk about it, just don't show any footage. So we're going to talk about X Defiant. Uh, uh, Corvo, have you heard of X Defiant? You know, I have heard of X Defiant. I can't. Uh, I can't say I've heard a lot of positive things about X Defiant. Okay, that's fair. So first of all, it is no longer Tom Clancy's X Defiant. They they did right. take that out. It is just X Defiant. So that's that's uh, feature number one, I guess. Sort of separating other, separating themselves from that a little bit. Yeah, it still features, I guess, Tom, you know, Tom Clancy properties, if if you would, in the Ubisoft form, not necessarily, you know, Rainbow Six or you know, without remorse or you know something, anything like that. It is, um, the division. It is, uh, mm, Splinter Cell. It is. Splinter Cell related. You won't find Sam Fisher's, but you know. So X Define is basically uh, Call of Duty meets Overwatch. So it is as fast pa- uh, almost as fast paced as Call of Duty, and uh, you know kill times are fast, but maps, layouts, the hero style type of stuff—it's all Overwatch. 
So these characters have different abilities. They could go invisible. They can drop shields. They can uh, spot people on the map. They can they can do all kinds of different things. And your goal is to uh, very much like Overwatch, push payloads and hold down points. And that's you know I think that was the only two modes that they had was the payload and the control point stuff. So there's no team deathmatch, nothing like that. It is purely Overwatch style in the sense of Call of Duty, but with Tom Clancy characters and properties. So, um, would you go so far as to say a hero shooter? Yes, it is. It actually is. It is. It, I, I would say it harkens similarly to what they tried to do in Black Ops 3. Gotcha. Because in Black Ops 3, you had multiple characters who were multiple different operators, essentially, that all had special abilities. And that's what this one this one does. Although the special abilities are just there's different factions. So specific factions are going to have access to more specific to them abilities compared to it being just, okay, here's 12 people. Each one has a completely different ability. So there, there yeah. is a little more strategy involved. Um, uh, not that there isn't any strategy involved to just picking a character, but it definitely feels like if you're going to play, for instance, the flanking role on the team, which is something I play a lot, then having the one of the splinter cell, the third echelon operators that can go invisible is very useful because then I can kind of play the flank when I'm on a, on the payload, try to get people in as they're try to get behind people, kill them off so we can push the payload further. Yeah. So, you know, it starts off exactly in the same way as overwatch. If you're unfamiliar, you start off basically in a base. There's a countdown. Once that countdown goes, if you're on offense, for example, you are either trying to push the payload and, or you are trying to capture, uh, a single point before you move on to another point. So you will, you will work with five other people and you are trying to take different lanes in order to take out enemies, to be able to free yourself, to be able to push the payload. And of course the other team is trying to stop you from pushing the payload or taking a point. So fundamentally it is very simple. Uh, strategically, uh, I don't, I couldn't, I've never been at, good at games that fast call of duty you know uh x defiant in this case so strategically it was hard for me to figure out what role i should have and how i should execute that role um i would play you know uh, a third echelon splinter cell character and go invisible and try to flank around a person who's trying or you know who's in a advantageous spot to stop our people from you know getting to the point and so i yeah. try to sneak around and somebody would come out of nowhere and you know somehow see me and you know bam i'm dead you know <laughs> or whereas in overwatch i feel like because everything is so binary and you know, support tank offense DPS, yeah my role was very easy to figure out. I am support. I do not go up into the front and get all crazy offensive and stuff. Whereas in X Defiant, you can do that with every single character. And, you know, you can, you can customize your loadout. You can, you can switch your abilities in the middle of the game 
very Call of Duty style. And so you can be Mr. Offensive, but yet be more tanky because you're rocking the shields. But your play style fits that so it works for you. Whereas somebody like myself, I'm more defensive. And so I'm more so going to hang back with my shields and kind of try to push the payload. But that not, might not be the best strategy for myself. Depending on how the defense is playing, yeah. And so I found it really difficult to coordinate with the random players and figure out where I fit in with the ability I'm using plus the loadout. Whereas in Overwatch, everything's set for you. You just have to figure out how to play your role well. I don't know if David's better at this kind that of stuff. Makes, he, he was rocking house. So this experience is going to be different. And it makes sense. It really makes sense a lot of what you're saying because I have the benefit of I did play a ton of Overwatch, but I've also put in the last three years pretty much like almost 700 hours into Call of Duty. So over the last three titles. So I had a more intricate understanding of the way they've actually got a shout out to Aches, who was a former Call of Duty pro who they have on staff now at X Defiant. Um, there's you can definitely tell the way that they're putting it together. It's a lot more competitive based like in Overwatch yes. with yeah. what they're looking at building. However, it's more competitive in these in the at least the flow of the game is more competitive in the way that you are competitive in a Call of Duty game. Because in Call of Duty, and, and there are some things that are going to be similar. Obviously, if you're playing DPS and Overwatch, your job is going to be to just put in as much damage and keep people off of the thing. But the difference, of course, in Call of Duty is, for instance, I brought up the third echelon player. What I was trying to do most of the time to get the team off the payload is I was playing flank. I would shoot a guy who is keeping us from moving forward. But then it was more than just doing that. I needed to go and hit them as they came out of spawn so that I was keeping them back. I was pushing them back. I was I was doing my job of uh, it's going to sound funny being I was being annoying. I was that annoying guy that crap. He's in our back. He's in the back of our base. If we do not deal with him then we will not be able to mount a defense against this payload. Which you can and do that, that in a game like this yeah. because your spawns are so fast. Where if you do that <laughs> exactly. in Overwatch, you get punished because you're going to be out for 12 yeah. seconds. Exactly. But it's one of those fun things where because I understand that <laughs> as a Call of Duty, I play, I play, I've played a lot of ranked at this point. I'm... I have a lot more understanding of it. So my biggest, the biggest thing I had to come to grips with is how does this map flow? How does each of these, what chokes are we going to get stuck at? And how can I get around to influence those chokes to our advantage? Because that's one of the things I noticed right away. They have a ton, at least on the payload maps, there are a ton of random spots that are just and that's honestly yes. the control maps too. They were choke yeah. choke central, man. They they had it set up of yeah, you can flank around, but this main spot, this is where everybody's coming up, and they're all shooting from here. This is where the payload, and, and that's Overwatch too as well. 
is there's spots you're going to the payload's just going to get stuck there. You can't help it. There's too much high ground and all this other stuff. But yeah, in a Call of Duty style game, it's very different because, you know, you don't have this hero who's a projectile hero or this hero who's uh, throwing random things. No, this is all bullets. <laughs> so somebody's going to sit back there. And that was one of the biggest things that I got really annoyed with very quickly. The LMGs in this game are way too, at very least to good. me, they're way overpowered. And if you're a quick twitch sniper in this game, you're unstoppable just about with some of these chokes that you can get stuck in because that LMG, uh, I believe Anthony can attest to, we were on, I guess it was kind of like a grand prix kind of racetrack area. And we were stuck in the, in our like original spawn. Like we barely pushed out. We were spawn trapped and I came flanking around on the left, killed a guy off the payload, picked up his LMG. We proceeded to move an entire point <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> just because I picked up the LMG and just focused on their spawns and they couldn't move <laughs> because I all it was was I had an LMG. That's literally was the only difference in the way the game played is I picked up an LMG instead of an MP5. So it is one of those games that there probably is a, a lot of balancing this, which that's why you're playing in beta is because they, figure, they can figure yeah, out those but... things. And that's that's every video game, though. There's always going to be a meta of this gun until the next patch. This is the gun everybody should use. And there's always going to be that one gun that's just kind of the more balanced that the professionals go for. But in the end, it's a lot of times LMGs are going to be preferred because of just the sheer bullet spray that you can do because there's more chances to hit a guy when I've got a hundred a hundred bullet magazine to lay into this thing especially since there wasn't a ton of recoil i don't know if it was just the setup but man there was not a lot of recoil to a lot of the lmgs well something but, like that you just want to make sure it's not oppressive right we still have abilities yeah. and so yeah. that you know if this were call of duty and lmgs were that there's no abilities to stop that stuff there yeah. should be counters to whatever kind of setup people have so you know in overwatch uh, at the time, it was, you know, Junkrat, Roadhog, and, you know, whatever. Like, if yep. people were running shields a lot, like, you ran the characters that could just bust shields so that way yep. everybody could get in those damage. So, in our case, you know, they're rocking these LMGs and they're hitting us from far. Well, you know, most nearly everybody should have probably went shields so that way we can, you yep. know, at least move forward a little bit so that way, you know, we can start pushing yep. the payload and they start repositioning a little bit because we're we're making progress. But I, you know, I have to be fair. People were experimenting with different oh, yeah. things. So, you know, nobody was really running some optimal team-based thing. We're all randoms working together. Uh, obviously, you had people who would pop off. But, you know, it was, it, uh, to be fair, you know, people were, were trying stuff. So, you know, I was trying stuff. David was trying stuff. Uh, I just happened to suck. So every time I tried stuff, you know, it just didn't work <laughs> out anyway. But I, yeah, know, I do really is, like the movement, the movement in the game. Like it, there it is something a little bit off to it, but some of that is just because it's, it's imagine, imagine rainbow six with more of a call of duty pacing. That's the easiest way I can describe yeah, I, would, I wouldn't call it that stiff, but and it's not that stiff, but there's still just a little bit of stiffness that I feel yeah. That, that lets me know it's 
branching from the Ubi. It's coming from the Ubisoft, the Ubisoft branch. <laughs> yeah. That where Call of Duty, there's something about Call of Duty that's just that flows comparatively. But that's to like every other shooter. Call of Duty just has a very specific feel compared to. But the fact that they're capturing this feel pretty well is encouraging to me. Uh, especially, like I said, as someone who has really been experimenting a lot in Vanguard and some of these others, I've really been focused on I want my movement to be the best. And that's not just moving around, but it's knowing the my surroundings well enough that, OK, people think movement is just quick twitch fast. No, it's I'm slide canceling or whatnot with a purpose to get to this heady so that I can have optimal cover while shooting at you. So I know my surroundings as I'm moving. So it feels like X Defiant has that. The The question, of course, is can they go ahead and flush it out along with balancing out things, which I'm very excited to see how they go with it. There's another insider session tomorrow, so I'm going to try my best to play it again. Even though it's at, uh, let me go ahead and call Stupid out times. the fact that it is at a. Give us, give us one, one on Friday night, ones. one on Saturday morning. But yeah, full weekend. There's that right now. It they is give only you three on hours Friday and then like Friday or a Wednesday or something 3 PM, like that. At three p.m. on the West Coast, three p.m. Pacific. That work. Friday, 3 p.m. Pacific. That doesn't make sense to me. I get it. You've got people in the office who are apparently monitoring this kind of stuff, whatnot. Let give somebody some Saturday overtime for two hours yeah. and let us play it on Saturday. I want to play this. Ubisoft, just San unfettered. Francisco, Silicon Valley. You know, you pay some yeah. people. It's it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> what I'm concerned about with this game, um, you know, I I want games to do well, and this is you know. I'm concerned about just the whole branding of this thing. It is a funky mishmash of stuff. It's got a truly awful name, X Defiant, <laughs> whatever the frick that means. And, you know, it started off as this almost punk rock, rock rebellious type of feel. Now you look at the logo, it's, it's clean, it's golden, you know, with, with this... Hardcore name X Defiant, whatever that means. And then you have Tom Clancy properties from the division, from Splinter Cell, from uh, Ghost Recon. I don't know no, if remember. it's Ghost Recon. That was some, there. I know which. There's another one, and I just can't remember what it is. Rainbow Six. Um, but yeah. So you just. I don't. I don't know. Oh, okay. So perspective we know ubisoft is trying to make a bunch of live service games in order to you know have that so that's what this is that's what this is trying to accomplish but i i don't think this is i I just don't think this is one of those games i think it'll do better than you know their latest stuff but i don't think it's got much legs to it to be honest um and to be fair we've only played two modes I don't know yeah. what else it has, but it's not doing anything so different and so unique that it will tear people away from playing an Overwatch or a Call of Duty and say, hey, why don't you play the both at the same time? Yeah. Sure. <sighs> I don't know. So, yeah, I mean, uh, it feels good <laughs> and it's 
it's actually fun to play. I was going to say from an outside perspective, you were talking about, you know, how the marketing and the branding of this game has just been odd. And I mean, I could tell you that I think those optics have not gone away. I mean, when I think of X Define, I still think of that strange, funky punk rocker game with the style that they were going for when they still had Tom Clancy attached to it. Um, I think people still think of that. And I mean, when I think of X Defiant, I'm thinking, oh, this is just going to be like a strange free-to-play hero shooter that's not worth my time, especially when Overwatch 2 is also going free-to-play. Oh, I just, yeah. I don't know how they're going to tear players away from Overwatch. Yeah, Overwatch players will tear themselves away from Overwatch, but... <laughs> that's fair enough. <laughs> um, you know, they'll get it, mad when they don't get to play DPS for, you know, six hours. Yeah, they'll find something to be mad at and not want to play, but same thing with call of duty like why would who who is this for is just is the question and it can't be for call of duty players game. because well, call of duty players are gonna play call of duty yeah yep. but it's it, it's the main game they're competing with but it's still overwatch so what are they actually competing with i i just i don't know maybe maybe at the time they were thinking well, Call of Duty, you pay for it. Overwatch, you pay for it. So if we, you know, do this thing that's kind of both of them, that's free to play, that'll capture that audience. But like you said, Corvo, Overwatch 2 is going free to play. So yep. that's going to eat into that yep. strategy if that's their strategy. I just, I don't know. I kind of feel bad for Ubisoft San Francisco. This just doesn't feel like something that can succeed. I think it'll have some success. People will play it. People will pay for stuff, but... For how long? I don't know. This just, it doesn't look like something that will have a lot of legs to it. I am curious to know what strategy they're going to use in order to attract people. Yeah, I think with the game being free to play, the barrier to entry is very low. I think they'll get a lot of people who might try the game, but I'm more interested to see how they're going to keep players. And, and as far as I know, it is going to be cross-play and, of course, cross-platform. So that does that does help you because I could see this getting discovered a lot easier on console where just it, yeah. just people picking up just, hey, I want to play something different. I'm over here in the free to play menu looking for like Warzone 2 and I come across X Defiant, which that's another thing that they're going to struggle with is the fact that Warzone 2 is coming this year. So, yeah, that's <laughs> they have some competition that's going to be a tough battle, I think. I mean. X Defiance. Free to play has never been better than yeah. it is right now. <laughs> yeah. X Defiance not coming out anytime soon. So, but I mean, Overwatch 2 will have legs. Warzone 2 will have legs. So, uh, I, well, I guess you release it when people could be bored with either of them. And, you know, hey, try this new thing called the X Defiant, which I don't what, what name. Like, I guess it's so wonky. You're like, what the frick is X Defiant? Sure. Why not? You do is you release it at the end of next year. You release it at fall 2023 because uh, Call of Duty is two years this time. You could people do looking for that. Mid, that people well, looking for that next year switch. Yeah, but Warzone 2 is <laughs> still going to be kicking. Like that, it will. But at least the six, you're 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 trying to get the six v six people though, and the six v six people yeah. would be looking for a new game possibly because they're just used to looking for a new game in November. <laughs> quite possibly I mean, actually 
<laughs> I mean, is it any worse? Is that any worse than what Ubisoft's current like a business model apparently is? It, it really isn't. <laughs> no. Do you really think that the the Call of Duty audience will be like this? Like it's 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 been a year. It, it depends on Jones and man. Yeah, <laughs> I need something new. I've been playing this for a year. To me, it depends on what call it what Activision's plans are, because you can't think they're going to stand pat. They've probably got an idea of something. And the big rumor actually that came out today is that they are going to release all the old Modern Warfare 2 maps at the year juncture for Ooh. as new content for Modern Warfare, this Modern Warfare 2. So, mm. I mean, I'll be honest, that's some of the best maps in Call of Duty history reside in that video game. And to be able to play them brand spanking new looking in this and taking me back to the game. Yeah, that's the multiplayer game I played the most at that point. <laughs> yeah, that's that's going to be really hard to beat. Yeah, so, I, yeah I mean, I'd, hmm. X Defiance got a lot of. It's got a lot. There's a lot of good things about it, but I don't know that it actually beats anything that Call of Duty has right now. Yeah, it's it's got nothing and that's that mainly out. mainly Modern Warfare. It, it, honestly, they should have released it last year when Vanguard and Battlefield and everything came out and said, "Hey, we're not those." Yeah, <laughs> had I a better chance. But I feel like if you release it too soon, like if you would have released it, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, people would have been. It's like, oh yeah, it's a it's a beta. It's basically early access. They're still trying to figure this game out. I, it'd be dead in the water. Like, it would have yeah, to go through a remarkable turnaround from, you know, what people were playing before to what it ever becomes to be like, oh, yeah, okay, this is way different than what I remember. I don't know if it's going to be that. I think what we played is pretty much not in a, like, Destiny, like, preview type of thing when, before that game came out, but the... This is the largely the of base. It. Yeah, yeah, this is the foundation of, of what you're going to be playing. And it could change. I don't, I, it could, it could. But it feels like what they have is actually pretty tight. It's just, yeah. it's, it's balance, it's modes, it's abilities, you, you know, all those things you want to balance out, make sure it's good. So that's why I think the bones of it is, is there. And that's not going to change unless something drastic happens um, in terms of, people really figuring out how to play that game and breaking it basically. Yeah. All right. Um, I do have some corrections to make, and this is not something we normally do, but when we talked about Rumbleverse last week, uh, number one, I kept calling it rumble versus that is not the name of it, it is Rumbleverse um, <laughs> by iron galaxy. Um, I, I said, <laughs> dare I thinking about multiverse. <laughs> I was it, it, exactly what was going on, but I said some things that were just patently incorrect. Um, so last I, I mentioned that uh, part of the problem with the game is blocking, which that is not patently incorrect. That is part of the problem. But um, I said there was no counter to the blocking and there is uh, pretty much the night after recording that I found the. The, the counter to the block i was like oh <laughs> that's the freaking counter because i never saw people use it that much but then once i found it i realized that everybody was using it at some point but there is a full counter to the block the problem still becomes is the, the turtling strategy is, is still a a dominant strategy um 
But with that said, it is not as uh, oppressive uh, when you block and things like that as uh, as uh, I first imagined. I played a little bit more of it and I saw some of the different strategies people were using to get around different ideas uh, and opened up that rock, paper, scissors element that I was looking for a little bit more. So that is there. Um, so uh, I just want to put that out there that I was just 100% wrong about that. That rock, paper, scissors is there. Um, it's just uh, the turtling strategy uh, can kind of mess that up a little bit because staying in place is is more advantageous than you know getting in and, and fighting. But once you are fighting, you do have to think about, do I block here? Do I jump here? Do I just run away? Do I get in their face? All that's there. So I misrepresented that part in our previous episode. So I, I wanted to at least appropriately make that correction. Um, so now my problem with Rumbleverse is uh, online connectivity and <laughs> that's early. So um, at this point, I've pretty much put Rumbleverse down because it is uh, the online uh, is just, uh, it's very frustrating because it is a very precise type of game because the block stun and hit stun can be so critical and so hurtful that if I press a button and I know my attack should hit, but I am not rewarded for that and still punished because of lag, what's the point of playing at this point? Um, so it, it's, it's just one of those things. Um, I can't, it's one of those things people could go, oh, you blame Iron Galaxy for their servers. It's, it's so hard to get this stuff right and perfect when people are playing on Wi-Fi, people are playing on slower connections, uh, more uh, jittery connections, ping, and uh, there's so many factors. Um, I commend them for making it only 40 people instead of 100. That does help. Um, but the online uh, really messes up the, the fun of you know getting in there and having those rock paper scissor kind of matches so um so that little spiel on rumbleverse just want to throw that out there <laughs> all right that is it for this episode um thank you for listening appreciate you watching uh you can join our discord if you would like to talk more with us or anybody in the discord about video games uh we talked about tinykin we talked about x defiant we talked about Xeno, Blade Chronicles 3, and Back for Blood. So, you know, if you've been playing those and you got something to say, you don't agree, you you agree, you got a different perspective, yeah, hit us up in the Discord. Let's keep talking about it. You know what's uh, incredible? What? We talked about two games that start with X. Okay, yeah. Not very we, easy to do. We, no, we, we are on opposite <laughs> spectrums of the alphabet today. Yes, X Defiant, <laughs> Tiny Kin, yes, and Back for Blood. Yeah, I get, yeah, I get you. We're all over the place in the alphabet. <laughs> um, so, yes, you can talk about all kinds of random stuff on the Discord. This is what we do. So, <laughs> uh, Corvo, appreciate you joining us. Talk to us about Tiny Kin. You, you can catch his review on Gaming Trend. Again, he scored that a 90 out of 100. It's a great game. So appreciate you listening. Appreciate you watching. That is David Burdett. That is Corvo. 
I'm Anthony. We'll talk to you later. Deuces.